Welcome to InsureTalk, the podcast where we don't just talk about innovative ideas in PNC insurance. We talk with industry trailblazers about the big ideas they made happen and how they did it. This podcast is brought to you by Guidewire, the platform PNC insurers trust to engage, innovate, and grow efficiently. Visit guidewire.com for more information. And now, let's make it happen. Welcome to InsureTalk. My name is Laura Drabeck, and I'm the Chief Evangelist at Guidewire. In this episode, I have the privilege of interviewing Adrian Jones, partner at HSCM Ventures, a part of Hudson Structured Capital Management Limited. Adrian is an experienced leader with an impressive background in strategy, reinsurance, ventures, and InsureTech. Today, we will be focusing our conversation on all things InsureTech. Hello, Adrian. Thank you for joining my podcast. Good morning, Laura. Thank you for having me. Tell our listeners about HSCM Ventures and your role there. So HSCM Ventures is about five years old, manages a little north of $3 billion of AUM and committed capital. And we have been very active investors in the InsureTech space for several years now. As a partner, I lead the activities of HSCM Ventures along with two other partners and a total team of six. Why do you think insurance has attracted so many disruptors and disruptive value propositions as of late? So it's the middle of winter right now, and if you think of kind of freshly fall in snow and you think of where you can go skiing on the best powder. I think that frankly a lot of people saw insurance starting around 2015 as being some freshly fallen powder that hadn't been skied on in a long time. And they looked at an industry which was very large, you know, anywhere between five and seven trillion, depending on how you count it, that's very global, uh, and that has a large number of companies which were founded in the 1800s and in some cases through personal experience still act like they're in the 1800s. And so you had a a number of entrepreneurs who said, look at what's happening in fintech, look at how banks are being disrupted, and where can we find other situations like that? And the powder that they found was in InsureTech. 2015 is when we suddenly started to see large numbers of people, capital, and technology starting to be applied to insurance in a way that they hadn't been before. And so that was really the pivotal moment. But I think, yeah, they, they saw an industry that had not kept with the times in many ways. And that's why so many wannabe disruptors came to the business. Funding into InsureTech startups totaled, I guess, $10.5 billion in the first nine months of 2021. However, two-thirds of the total volume raise went into only 15 insure tech deals. Adrian, what does this tell us about the industry? I think we see that in many parts of venture. There are a handful of companies that for whatever reason attract a lion's share of the capital. And what's interesting is that there is also data which suggests that there is not a very strong correlation between a company's ultimate success and the amount of capital that it attracts as venture capital. If you look at where's the capital going to, it is primarily going into MGAs, managing general agencies or carriers, and it is primarily going into PNC. Within PNC, we have seen a lot of capital flowing into personal lines, carriers, and agencies. So think of traditional homeowners and auto. But we are 
I believe, going to see an increasing amount going into commercial and into specialty lines, which are areas that have been a little bit more difficult to understand from the outside that require more specialized expertise. And I think one of the really interesting things is that a decent amount of that expertise is actually coming out of some of the incumbents. There have been several big moves this year by people who have, you know, 10, 20, 30 year careers in large incumbent insurers who are starting to join young startups. And that's something that we didn't see even two or three years ago, but I think is going to be very important for the future of this business. What do you think insure tech funding will look like in 2022? The problem with making predictions is that they involve the future. (laughs) This is a very hard question because we have seen a substantial run-up. We have also seen in the public markets a correction in public market valuations. We created an index called the HPIX. It's available on Bloomberg, Reuters, etc. It's it's the Hudson Public InsureTech Index. Currently, there are 22 components in the index. In full disclosure, Guidewire is one of them. But these are companies which have gone public within the last 10 years that have novel business models differentiated by technology. That index peaked at 203 in early February of this year and has since traded as low as 110. And obviously by the time this comes out, the index will be in a different place than it is today. But what that has shown is that public markets have liked some of the stocks which have come out recently and they have disliked others. So some have done reasonably well and some have sold off by more than 80% from their peaks. That I think is going to be something that private markets are going to be increasingly reckoning with in 2022. I think that there is a tremendous amount of capital that is still looking to be deployed, but what are private markets going to do as they sit and look at what has happened in public markets? And I think that's going to be the real key question that's going to determine what funding looks like in 2022. I don't think InsureTech is going away. What the funding volume looks like in any given year is obviously hard to predict. I couldn't agree with you more, Adrian. I think InsureTech is here to stay. And if we look at a precursor to InsureTech, which is FinTech. And as you know, FinTech uses technology to improve activities in finance and banking. So how does investment in FinTech compare to investment in InsureTech? And why is there a difference in funding? This is something that a lot of people don't understand. Insurance is a massive business. Banking and other financial services activities are a larger business, but not that much larger. If you look at the U.S. GDP statistics, insurance is approximately 3% of the economy, and other financial services, primarily banking and lending and that sort of activity, is about 5%. However, in the first three quarters of 2021, approximately 20% of all venture capital dollars went into fintech, and less than 3% of venture capital dollars went into insuretech. So fintech, relative to its size in the U.S. economy, has been far better penetrated by venture capital than insuretech. And that is partly a function of the fact that fintech has simply been around as a term for longer. There are many more customers today dealing with online banks and neobanks than there ever were. Even though I remember in 1999, I was sitting in a lecture hall in the basement of my college and somebody from IBM got up and said, the bank branch is dead. It's gone. Online banking is going to replace it. He was only 20 years early, but he was right. You know, insurance is a little bit further behind in this sense, and that's for a handful of reasons, um, including 
including having a different regulatory regime. Insurance, for better or for worse, is regulated by the 50 states, and those 50 states all have different regulations. It's a little bit like masking for COVID. What's required in one state is not allowed in another state, and insurance companies simply have to live with that. So that has, I think, slowed some of the innovation relative to broader fintech. But I think that over time, as people realize that even complex capital-intense regulated businesses like banking can be disrupted, and I think over time we will see similar things happening in insurance. But I think if people get impatient and they expect overnight success, that's not the way the insurance industry works. Insurance is a get-rich-slowly business. But over time, through the power of compounding and through the stickiness that exists of insurance customers, great businesses can be created, but it takes time. So which areas of InsureTech then? are generating the most VC interest and why? We're seeing VC interest really across the board. One of the surprises, if I were to think back to five years ago, is the interest in carriers and businesses that are very similar to carriers, most notably managing general agencies. I think five years ago, people expected that it would have been very difficult for those businesses to attract large volumes of funding because you're putting that money into regulatory capital, you're putting it into customer acquisition, and you're putting it into operations. Those three things are all capital intensive. They are all difficult. And the payoff is at some uncertain point in the future, because as I said, this is a get rich slowly business. So I've probably been surprised at the amount of activity that's gone in there. But I think it's great because that is the coal face of insurance, actually producing and selling policies and dealing with customers. That's where we are going to produce better products for consumers that work more effectively for them at covering their needs and that hopefully are also lower cost with less overhead baked in. Uh, So I think that's really exciting. The other areas of interest, of course, have been software companies. There are a number of venture investors out there that really love SaaS, software as a service, and have established that software is eating the world. And I'll, I'll make a prediction. Vertical software will eat certain parts of insurance. And vertical means dealing with a particular industry. So they're dealing with construction or automotive retailing or whatever it is. And those companies are thinking, how do I monetize the data that I have? And how do I translate that into an insurance offer, which is better for the consumer? Because I know a lot about them. That, of course, is not necessarily insurance venture, but it is people coming into the insurance sector from other parts of the business. And I I just think that's worth mentioning. This is such great information. Before we continue, listeners, if you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to subscribe to InsureTalk on Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, this is Laura Drabeck, and let's get back to our conversation. I'm talking with Adrian Jones, partner, HSCM Ventures. So, Adrian, when InsureTech emerged a decade ago, I think insurers saw the industry as more of a competitive threat. From your perspective, how has this point of view matured? over time. I think you're right that a number of large companies saw a competitive threat, but I think that that didn't last for very long. You know, you saw some kind of strange activity that happened in the business in the early days of InsureTech where people said, well, you know, we all need to go out to Silicon Valley and hang out at Google and Facebook's offices, and then we'll come back and get some beanbag chairs and we'll all be inspired. And suddenly we're going to act like a startup. Fortunately, we're not hearing any of that anymore. I think what we're starting to see now is 
is carriers and others in the insurance business saying InsureTech could be a competitive threat to us, or they could be a partner, and they're going to help us beat the incumbent down the street or in the next state over. And I think that is a much more mature view, and I think that is what's going to lead to substantial amounts of innovation coming not just from InsureTechs, but also from the established carriers. I think one of the areas of competitive threat that was overestimated was in some of the core personal lines businesses. I think people didn't give enough credit to some of the very successful companies that have been in those spaces for 100 years or more that have actually been able to start taking on some innovation, that have been able to use their large customer bases and well-known brand names, etc., in order to drive innovation and make customers happy and keep those customers. So that's one area where I think the competitive threat was probably overestimated. But I think a company that is not capable of adapting to the latest in technology. And over time, those sort of companies are simply going to lose market share and slowly wither away. And it's one of those things like, how did you go broke gradually, then suddenly? I think we're still in the gradual phase for a number of companies that need to adapt to the cloud, for instance, or use better data sources that need to link up their core systems more effectively, that need to drive some of the cultural change. I think those are the companies that are really at risk in terms of competitive threat from InsureTech. So new forms of pay-as-you-drive, usage-based insurance, leverage smartphone-based telematics data to help insurers deliver what we've been talking about, more personalized consumer coverage and pricing. But the key is real-time access to and consumption of customer data. So Adrian, any insight on this space? Yeah, personal auto is obviously the largest of all of the insurance lines in the U.S. If you look back 10 years ago at telematics or any device or smartphone app that can measure when and how a car is driven. In 2011, according to the IoT Insurance Observatory, there were fewer than 3 million cars connected to an insurer, so pretty experimental, led by a couple of large insurers. Today, there are more than 21 million cars connected to insurers in some way. There are 450 telematics programs globally, so basically every large notable insurer in most parts of the world has some form of telematics program. But in many ways, we're also still trying to figure it out. I think going forward, at the end of the day, data makes a difference. Data can produce better outcomes for everyone involved in the sharing of data. And that is going to produce a situation where consumers are incented to share data with insurers, and insurers are incented to use that data in order to reward the best customers. So an insurer who is not capable of handling large volumes of customer data is going to find themselves increasingly adversely selected against. Personal auto is where we've seen it first, but I think we're starting to see it in numerous other areas as well. There are certainly companies working on it in homeowners, as well as areas like marine, for example. So, you know, I hate the saying data is the new oil. I don't necessarily think that it is because oil is finite. Data is not. The question is, how can we most effectively collect data, analyze it, use it, and ultimately reward good customers with better quality insurance products? So let's talk about embedded insurance. And for our listeners, embedded insurance is coverage that's offered with the purchase of third-party products or services. So the Apple warranty with your iPhone or coverage with your new Tesla. And according to McKinsey, up to 25% of all personal line premiums could be generated through embedded insurance ecosystems by 2030. So Adrian, what is your point of view on alternative distribution channels like embedded insurance? I think what the industry has realized within 
in the last couple of years is that there are a very large number of ways in which you can meet a consumer at a point when a consumer wishes to purchase insurance and provide them a better offering than they might have otherwise. Much of this, of course, is because of software-based solutions or the internet. We are also seeing a number of parties from outside the insurance business who are saying, I can sell insurance to my consumers and I can do that more effectively than a traditional agent can. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's what they're saying. At the same time, carriers are saying, how do I take advantage of all these new forms of distribution? And that is a really big change. Go back to even a few years ago and you heard insurance CEOs get up at conferences and say, we would never do anything which would even remotely compete with our existing independent or captive agencies. You know, they are everything to us. And I think that has changed fairly significantly in the last couple of years. Insurers are redefining the nature of the relationship with their agents and what other channels they can potentially pursue. This, of course, has precedent in all sorts of other parts of the economy. If you look at e-commerce as a percent of total retail sales, it's gone from 5% 10 years ago to close to 17 or 18 percent today. If you look at car sales, last year the leading online car retailer sold 250,000 units. So if you can do all of that, why can't you buy insurance online? Why can't you buy it through other channels? I think there is value that independent agents bring, but that does not necessarily mean that we have to have the same set of distribution channels in the same way as we have always had. And I think embedded insurance is, is a kind of a term that refers to all these other things which are happening in order to bring insurance to consumers when they want it, how they want it, and in perhaps more efficient ways than have been done previously. Insurers want to leverage AI, artificial intelligence, to free up the human from manual redundant activities. So the adjuster, the underwriter, the agent can focus on delivering empathetic intelligence service that only a human can deliver. Adrian, any insight on the AI space? Which complex activities could AI be responsible for in the near future? Well, you know, to start with, I think AI is very effective at simple activities. And so a number of companies are redesigning their systems and their processes such that simple activities simply go. And if they can not be touched by a human, then great. And so this could be simple underwriting activities, simple claims activities, even policy servicing sort of activities. And the role of the human becomes instead of processing 50 of these paper forms per hour or whatever their quota is, it becomes dealing with exceptions. So the system doesn't recognize something it can't process it, that's when the human has a look at it. And I think that is a much more value-added role for people. I think that's fundamentally better for people. It's also better for customers because products and services can be delivered to the customer more effectively and more quickly. So where is this happening? It's happening in personal lines underwriting, to be sure. In fact, it already has happened. You know, there's automatic underwriting for large volumes of personal lines, and that's been the case for a long time. We're starting to see it more in personal lines claims. We're starting to see more straight through processing in small commercial underwriting as well. And one of the challenges that people get into in small commercial, for example, is they say, well, I'm worried that the computer is just not going to be as good as the human. And at least one insurance company that I've looked at when they implemented a straight through processing in small commercial actually found that that book of business was straight through process performed about five percentage points better on the loss ratio than the business which had been manually underwritten. Now, of course, that's not like for like, but it does suggest that in fact, machines can be very effective at 60, 70, 80% of the business that's thrown their way. And then that which goes through a slower, more manual path, you know, you're really focusing underwriters or claims processors or whoever 
whatever it is on the more complex, more tricky, highly value-added activities. So ultimately, what I think this means is there are fewer people who are doing more value-added activities in the space. And I think ultimately that ends up being a win-win for everybody involved. We need to take another break. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to review more of my thought leadership, please see evangelist.guidewire.com. Now let's get back to our conversation with Adrian. I really enjoyed your InsureTech Connect presentation from October 2021. And you spoke about what's in and what's out for startups. What are the most important ins and outs for 2022? So ins and outs. I made a startup edition as well as an incumbent edition. This is all on my LinkedIn as well. Adrian J.O. is my LinkedIn username. So from a startup perspective, we're seeing startups that are engaging in more steady growth rather than blitz scaling. Blitz scaling is this idea that's popular in some corners of the venture and startup world that says you need to come into a market and take over that market as quickly as you possibly can. And Uber is the classic example of this. Uber recognized that if they didn't attack all of the major markets quickly, they would leave markets open where competitors could replicate them. So therefore, they had to come in, they had to do it as quickly as they possibly could. You know, and you look at their profitability and you can debate whether that's a successful strategy. What I can tell you is it has not worked particularly well in insurance. It has resulted in companies obtaining some of the lowest quality customers and those customers then leaving when better offers come along or when the company has to raise price in order to attain a level of profitability. So we're seeing companies focus really more on steady growth over time, compounding book value, get rich slowly, not get rich tomorrow. We're seeing them focus on higher value policies rather than cheap episodic micro policies unless there is a real leveraged source of distribution for that. We're seeing a lot more focus on customer segmentation. We're seeing people recognize in startup world that insurance is a game of inches in a game of niches, meaning you don't need to attack an entire $7 trillion market. You need to just win in a couple of niches. And the way that you win is by being a little bit better everywhere. So be better in inches, not better in miles. And if you can be better in inches everywhere, and that is what produces these great insurance businesses over time. We're seeing startups recognize the value of experience and experienced people rather than just, hey, I'm a fresh MBA. I can sprinkle my pixie dust and you all are going to love it. They're starting to hire gray-haired people and combining that with the youthful exuberance. We're also seeing companies buying capabilities, so engaging in M&A rather than trying to build everything from scratch. And I think, again, this is all just signs of maturation of the sector, learning from early mistakes, and preparing for the future. Why don't you give us a couple on the incumbents, too? Yeah, so the incumbents. You know, we've gone from the Silicon Valley petting zoo that I mentioned earlier with going and looking at people's beanbag chairs and bringing a few back and saying, look how cool we are, now we're going to innovate. We're going in instead towards deep partnerships with InsureTechs. We're going from pack hell, as people called it. Let's do 100 proofs of concept and see what works with kind of open-ended innovation budgets. Just go out and innovate, go out and figure something out. We're starting to see much more mature ROI analysis with real resources placed behind the things where the ROI actually works. We are seeing incumbents, instead of saying, I want to be the first partner of this startup, starting to prefer more established solutions that are still innovative. So I call that being the fourth partner rather than the first. We are seeing incumbents focusing on relatively near-term business problems. There have been some spectacularly successful companies that actually aren't doing things that are all that complicated. They're just solving close-in problems. We're seeing incumbents being less focused on moonshots and shiny objects and long horizon sort of innovations. From a capacity perspective, meaning risk capacity, we're seeing more of an alignment between investment capacity and oversight 
website rather than just saying, oh, wow, look at what that cool startup can do. Let me go give them my pen so they can produce some business. That's largely done. We're seeing more straight through processing, so elimination of tasks, including core underwriting tasks. We are seeing many fewer people who are saying what happened to travel agents is going to happen to insurance agents. There are 800,000 insurance agents in this country. There are 80,000 travel agents. I think you are still going to see very large numbers of insurance agents for a long time to come. However, we are seeing more focus on alternative distribution. We talked about embedded insurance earlier. So I think that's how the incumbents are maturing. And I think ultimately when you combine what the incumbents are doing as well as what the younger startups are doing, I think that it produces ultimately an industry that's going to serve customers much better than we are today. Now, you also spoke in your presentation about where today's Cuthbert Heath are winning. Can you provide some context on the term Cuthbert Heath and also the top areas where they are winning? So what is a Cuthbert Heath? It's, it's kind of a strange term, right? Certain people in the London market would recognize the name, but many of us outside would not. Cuthbert Heath was actually a person. He was an underwriter at Lloyd's for 59 years, and he is largely credited with being the father of modern insurance. He created a number of products that we use today, including automobile insurance. This was just coming out when he was active in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He created burglary insurance, jeweler's block insurance. He would insure you for smallpox, but only if you were vaccinated. Uh, he created air raid insurance during World War One. He also was a big claims and risk innovator as well. When San Francisco was destroyed by the Great Earthquake in 1906, there were a number of insurers who were playing all sorts of games with the claims. They would say things like, well, the damage to this structure is because natural gas lines were disrupted and caught fire and burned it down. And Cuthbert Heath just said, look, at the end of the day, pay all of our policyholders in full, irrespective of the terms of their policies. And that is why people today in the United States know the name Lloyds of London, because of Cuthbert Heath. So for today's Cuthbert Heaths, insurance companies are by their nature conservative, and that is a good thing. Insurers are supposed to be conservative, but it becomes a bad thing when it means that insurers are not fulfilling their obligations to society to cover new and emerging risks and to drive down the cost of covering existing risks. InsureTech was a way of releasing some of that energy to innovate in this business. And so some of the different areas where various Cuthbert Heaths are active today are cyber, secondary perils like wildfire, specialties like pet and flood, in data, telematics, which we talked about earlier, integrating predictive data, straight through decisioning, image recognition, in distribution, embedded insurance like we talked about, comparison raters. And so being able to go online and get 10 different quotes with some degree of accuracy, it's actually pretty hard right now. And of course, software and data, as, as Guidewire knows very well, there is an enormous software challenge in the insurance business. And I think that there is an enormous opportunity to reinvent the sort of systems that you know, many insurance companies are using from the core outwards or inwards to the core. And so those are areas where I think a lot of innovation is happening and where the, the industry is really being redefined. So if, if you think of yourself as an innovator and you think of yourself as, you know, I could be Cuthbert Heath, I could be someone who really drives the future of this business. Those are some of the areas that I'd be looking if I were you. Based on your experience, Adrian, what is the most effective way for insurers to work with InsurTax? I think that the most effective way is number one, to be very clear on the strategy. So what are you trying to accomplish in your business? Are we trying to take out costs? Are we trying to grow? Are we trying to redefine our distribution? What's the key question that we're trying to address? And then how do we think about whether we should build by our partner in those sort of situations? So having a clear answer to those two questions, what is our strategy and what 
what is our approach to solving the strategic problem, then enables one to most effectively think through who are the right potential partners or vendors that I could engage in order to solve particular parts of that problem. And then instead of going through a million packs, being much more focused on here are the handful of companies which could potentially be beneficial for solving these particular problems, and then going through the process with them in a structured way, such that it ultimately results in a long-term engagement rather than a short-term company comes in for two months, tries to do something, and basically all they can do is find their way to the bathroom and the project fails. You know, I think we've largely gotten beyond that with the most successful partnerships, but of course it still happens. So, you know, it just starts with knowing your strategy, knowing how to tackle that strategy, and then finding the right partners, engaging with them over the long term, and actually making it a partnership rather than just they're our vendor and here they're going to come in and do something. Any last insight you would share with insurers looking to partner or invest in InsurTech? I think that there is a tremendous pent-up demand among people in insurance companies to do things differently and better and to serve ultimately the mission of this industry, which is to provide protection for people, for businesses, for governments, and for society that is most effective and at the lowest possible price. And I know this because I talk with these people constantly. They call me up and they say, look, uh, how can I be more effective at driving innovation? And should I be working for an insurance company or should I go work for a software company? Should I go work for a startup, etc.? But this industry is full of people that want to innovate. And I think it's incumbent upon everybody in this industry to think about how do we harness that collective power? How do we take all these Cuthbert Heaths that exist and ultimately direct them in the most effective way? And I think if we do that, then our industry is going to more effectively serve its function in society, and that'll ultimately be good for everybody. Adrian, thank you very much for your time today. You've shown us it's not just about ideas, it's about making ideas happen. Thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Guidewire, the platform PNC insurers trust to engage, innovate, and grow efficiently. Visit guidewire.com for more information. 